Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, March 30th. I'm Carolina Rosario. These are today's headlines. Day two of the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin underway. The defense trying to use the previous arrest of George Floyd and his medical history to create reasonable doubt. The World Health Organization releasing new findings on the origins of the coronavirus as the U.S. continues to see record vaccinations. And a week after nine people lost their lives at a supermarket in Colorado, a look at the fight over gun control in America. These and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the trial of Derek Chauvin, who is accused of the killing of George Floyd. That trial resuming today in Minneapolis after opening statements were made on Monday. Here is Rafael Rodriguez with the latest. Day one of the trial of Derek Chauvin. So far, the prosecution and defense laying the foundation for their respective cases. Special Prosecutor Jerry Blackwell placing the entire blame for George Floyd's death directly on Chauvin. Mr. Derek Chauvin betrayed this badge when he used excessive and unreasonable force upon the body of Mr. George Floyd. Meanwhile, defense attorney Eric Nelson attempting to paint a picture of reasonable doubt by highlighting Floyd's drug use and underlying health conditions. The evidence will show that Mr. Floyd died of a cardiac arrhythmia that occurred as a result of hypertension coronary disease, the ingestion of methamphetamine and fentanyl, and the adrenaline throwing, flowing through his body. The state then began calling witnesses, starting with people who directly observed the incident. He was going to distress because of the knee, and he vocalized it, that I can't breathe, I need to get up, and I'm sorry. Then 911 operator Jenna Scurry also testifying, saying she watched the incident unfold on street cameras later reporting it to a supervisor. My instincts were telling me that something's wrong. Something has not right. I don't know what, but something wasn't right. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Thank you, Rafael, for that report. And for more, let's go to Mark Claxton. He is the director of the Black Law Enforcement Alliance and a retired NYPD detective. Thanks for joining us, sir. Thank you, Carolina. I want to start with this question. Uh, one of the witnesses was a 911 dispatcher who says she called a supervisor to voice her concerns about what she saw on the camera. What does that say to you? What that says to me is that quite clearly uh, to the naked eye, what was occurring to Mr. Floyd and what the conduct of uh, officer, then officer Chauvin was so outside of the norm and potentially fatally dangerous to Mr. Floyd that this experienced 911 operator felt compelled to report this type of behavior. She understood quite clearly from, the, from, from just a short visual observation that Mr. Floyd uh, was uh, in, in great peril and, and Officer Chauvin was acting outside of his responsibilities as a police officer. Let's take a look at a, at a different perspective. Uh, Chauvin's attorney said in court that the officer was distracted by the crowd and that he reacted the way he was trained to. So what's your take on that? Uh, the defense uh, attorney's position is, is not plausible. 
there is no training that supports or allows police officers to engage in excessive, brutal behavior that leads to the death uh, of the citizens themselves. They're there to serve and protect. To protect is key. And in this particular case, there is no tactic, no training that supports the conduct uh, by the Officer Chauvin. And Mark, should Officer Chauvin take the stand? I'm sure that the, the prosecutors are hoping that Officer Chauvin takes the stand. Uh, most More times than not, the defense will decide for him not to take the stand. There's too much risk. And quite frankly, as everyone's indicated during the course of the trial, you know, the, the clearest evidence is right before us. It's in videotape as it is right now. So him trying to explain away what we saw uh, on video in those eight minutes and 46 seconds or now nine minutes and 29 seconds will be mostly impossible. However, let's be clear about something. The defense always has an advantage. The prosecution needs all of the jurors uh, to believe that the conduct was done and, and, and the defense just needs at least one juror to think that any conduct committed by Officer Chauvin, uh, he, has, he or she has some doubt about the criminality of it, and he walks on that particular charge. So the, the yeoman's task is being done by the prosecution. The defense has, believe you me, a tremendous advantage in this case, and that's why I think Chauvin won't testify ultimately. Let's see what happens. And, and I have another question for you, sir. Uh, the trial is the first in Minnesota to be broadcast live in, in, in entirely. Why is this important? Uh, well, transparency is the best, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant, is the saying. And I think for people to have faith and confidence in, in the justice system, especially in times such as this where people don't have as much confidence, there needs to be a tremendous amount of transparency. So I think the value of having this trial public and open, uh, you know, at least from video, uh, it, 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 it goes a long way in instilling a sense of trust and faith in the system. Regardless of the outcome, at least people will say we had an opportunity to judge it with our own eyes. Thank you, Mark Claxton, retired NYPD detective, for your perspective on the case. Of course, we're going to see if, there's, if this brings any changes to police legislation in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Carolina. Thanks, sir. And now to Washington, where President Joe Biden is set to unveil the first part of his sweeping multi-trillion dollar infrastructure plan on Wednesday in Pittsburgh. The Build Back Better plan could cost between three and four trillion dollars and aims to make a number of massive investments. The plan could also include three trillion in tax increases. And Biden is aiming for passage over the summer. And staying in Washington and the president's agenda, our own Edwin Pitti got a chance to speak to the new Secretary of Veteran Affairs and how the COVID-19 relief bill, which was passed earlier this month, is helping military veterans. Edwin. That's right, Carolina. I can tell you the American Rescue Plan continues to assist those in need. And this time, part of the focus is on helping veterans. Under the American Rescue Plan, there are $17 billion for our veterans. $14.5 billion will be invested in healthcare, including complications stemming from lack of access to healthcare during the pandemic. Part of the money will deal with the backlog of claims created by the pandemic, totaling more than 200,000 right now in the Department of Veteran Affairs project that, with the help of the American Rescue Plan, they will be able to reduce that 
by over half. In an interview with U News, the new Secretary of Veteran Affairs, Dennis McDonough, said his priority is to make sure that all of those veterans highly impacted by the pandemic know there is help available to them. Take a listen. So if you're having trouble right now with your rent, if you're having trouble with your mortgage or with your utility payments, we can help with that. The American Rescue Plan can help with that. If you're having problems with mental health, with substance abuse disorder, we can help with that through the VA. Let's make sure that we are supporting you. And then those uh, veterans who are homeless, we're working to make sure that they get into homes and not only get into house housing first, but then get the support that comes that needs to come with that, health care, mental health care, education and training. This is a topic that President Biden and the First Lady are monitoring closely because of their experience as a military family. Meanwhile, President Biden is getting ready to present tomorrow the first part of his infrastructure plan aiming to create millions of jobs in the construction and clean energy sectors, a move that could highly benefit veterans who have lost their job. We are reporting live in Washington, D.C. Back to you, Carolina. Thank you, Edwin Pitti, reporting from Washington, D.C. Thanks so much. And the World Health Organization is set to release a report on the possible origins of the coronavirus, warning more research is needed before the likely hypothesis is proven. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., officials growing more concerned with a possible search. Lorraine Cáceres has the latest. The U.S. surpassing the staggering number of 550,000 deaths due to COVID-19. Globally, the death toll reaching 2.8 million. The World Health Organization releasing its first official report on the origins of the pandemic, presenting four possibilities, but saying the most likely scenario is that a bat infected an animal at a wildlife farm. Those animals were then sold at the Wuhan market. All hypotheses are on the table and warrant uh, complete and uh, further studies. Now, more than 20 world's leaders and the WHO are calling for an international treaty to protect future generations from pandemics. Uh, from the discussions we had in members during member states uh, session, um, the comment from member states, including uh, U.S. And, and China was, uh, was actually uh, positive. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., officials dealing with the threats of a fourth surge. The director of the CDC holding back tears, warning Americans of impending doom ahead. She feels what so many of us feel, which is a sense of deep concern as we look at the reality of what's happening in our country. There is some good news, no doubt. We have been able to vaccinate millions of people. We have come down from an all-time high in terms of infections and hospitalizations and deaths. But we have not come down all the way. And in fact, we have settled at a very high level of daily deaths, nearly 1,000. And now we're starting to see cases go up again and starting to see hospital admissions go up again. This is deeply concerning because every time we've seen it in the past, uh, it's led to another surge. The president's pleading Monday with everyone to continue to wear a mask. I'm reiterating my call for every governor, mayor, and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, this is not politics. 
Alabama already responding to the president's request, saying their mask mandate will end April 9th as planned. During his address, the president also announcing 90 percent of adults will be eligible to get vaccinated. The administration opening more mass vaccination sites and adding 20,000 more pharmacies. 90 percent of adults, people over 18 and over, will be eligible to get vaccinated. 90% of all Americans will be living within five miles of a place they can get a shot. And of course, it'll take time for everyone to get their appointment. It's a big country. And as fast as we're going, we still have a long way to go to finish this vaccination effort. In fact, we aren't even there. We're only halfway yet. Meanwhile, in Florida, the governor reacting after reports the Biden administration is working on a vaccine passport to be used by individuals in the workplace, in school or traveling internationally. The governor vowing to ban them in his state, saying it's completely unacceptable for the government or the private sector to impose vaccines on anyone. You want to go to a movie theater? Should you have to show that? No. You want to go to a game? You, no. You want to go to a theme park? No. So we're not supportive of that. And the WHO is saying that all possible scenarios of the origins of the coronavirus will be further investigated, but many have expressed concerns with the possible influence of China into these investigations as a lot of the scientists working on the investigations and actually writing the reports work for the Chinese government, so it puts in question its validity. Back to you, Carolina. We'll keep an eye on that investigation. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And after two months of steady declines, COVID-19 cases among children have gone up for the second week in a row. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, more than 64,000 new child COVID-19 cases were identified through testing last week. So far, 3.4 million children in the U.S. have tested positive for COVID-19. However, children are still considered much less likely to develop severe symptoms of COVID-19 or to die from the illness. And a group of women in Northern California is bringing COVID testing right to the doorsteps of many Latinos who are otherwise afraid or don't know where to go to take a test. Jonathan Mejia has the latest. For dozens of women during the pandemic, a familiar phrase sí se puede. is also a battle cry against COVID. We have many friends who have died, many friends who have people in their families who have all been infected at the same time. Because of COVID, members of a collective called Si Se Puede have been hit in the streets of San Jose, California early in the morning. The truth is that if we look case by case, we cry with each case of the people we meet. But they have decided not to cry and instead to help. We are given a certain area, then we go knocking on doors and we offer the test door to door. Their goal is to comb the east side of San Jose, where many people are afraid to go out and look for the test or lack the money to do it privately. That's why they go to provide assistance. There could be a person who can't walk, a person in bed, so that motivates us to continue doing it. This was one of the areas hardest hit by the pandemic, and the numbers speak for themselves. Just last December, Santa Clara County, where San Jose is located, had more than 43,000 infections and 500 deaths. We don't go inside the houses, we just knock on the door and move about six feet back for our own safety. House by house, they keep doing their work.
What we want to do is remove the barriers and for our people to have access to the vaccines. Much of the work locally is being done by Unidos, Si Se Puede, Santa Clara County, Gardner Clinics, and the Mexican Heritage Plaza who came out to support their people. That's what we've been waiting for, for the time for us to get our hands on it. Here we don't need papers, we don't need insurance. We just need people to be able to say yes, I qualify, and we give them the vaccine. I work with people every day, and I was desperate because I want to go back to hug my people, to be with my people. Reported by Maria Antonieta Collins in San Jose, California, this is Jonathan Mejia, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Today is the 40th anniversary of the assassination attempt against President Reagan and the shooting of then White House Press Secretary James Brady. President Reagan had only been in office for 70 days when it happened. The attack was captured on the camera and broadcast repeatedly by media outlets. Reagan recovered and went on to complete his term and win re-election in 1984. James Brady survived the shooting and became an advocate for gun reform legislation. His efforts eventually leading to federal legislation requiring background checks on all gun sales, what is known today as the Brady Bill. Joining me now is Chris Brown. She is the president of the gun violence prevention organization Brady, which headed that effort. Thanks for being here with us, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Chris, uh, we are coming up to tragic shootings in the last two weeks in which a total of 18 people lost their lives. Both shooters purchased the guns legally and passed background checks. What more could have prevented these shooters from getting the guns? We need comprehensive gun reform. So the Brady background check law is very important, actually. It has stopped the sale of more than 4 million firearms to individuals we all agree shouldn't have them. But of course, it doesn't stop all gun violence. To do that, we have to recognize that we have a public health epidemic in the United States when it comes to gun violence, which is a uniquely American problem. So we need stronger policies, including things like extreme risk laws. Those are laws that uh, remove guns from individuals who are deemed at risk by friends or family or members of a court who review that. In some of these cases, too often with mass shootings, there are red flag indicators in that person's background that many people know about that mean that those kinds of laws could make a real difference. We also should think about waiting periods, which have been very effective um, in having people pause and think through a final purchase before that happens. Uh, that was in effect for some time before the Brady Law was firmly put into place. We also need to think about an assault weapons ban. Um, that was something that was in effect for a decade. Joe Biden, President Biden, helped Jim and Sarah Brady pass that. And in the decade that it was in effect, we saw a reduction in the use of assault weapons in 
mass shootings across this country. So we need a variety of solutions, better enforcement of the laws as part of it. Also funding for community violence intervention. We have a disproportionate impact of gun violence on black and brown communities across this country. We need to invest in the right kinds of solutions at the community level to end gun violence. And we can make it, if we do these things in combination, we can prevent gun violence in this country and save lives. A hundred people a day are dying because of gun violence in this country. Absolutely. So this is something we should... And, and Chris, your, your suggestions sound great, but in many ways, paralysis, sadly, has become the norm following mass shootings, in part because Republicans have traditionally opposed any legislative gun reform efforts. Should President Biden consider executive action? He should consider executive action, uh, absolutely. We have submitted a, a recommendation to President Biden of over 30 executive actions that can be taken to address this issue. It doesn't substitute for congressional action as well. It needs to be done in complement with congressional action. And I'll just note, two bills did pass the House of Representatives to address certain gaps in the Brady background check system, and they passed with bipartisan support. We are making traction in a bipartisan way around this issue. The Senate needs now to move on those bills. And Chris, uh, let's talk about the NRA. Does that organization yeah. holds the same power as it did in previous years in terms of preventing the passage of gun reform legislation? Their rhetoric is the same. In fact, it hasn't changed for 27 years since Jim and Sarah Brady passed the Brady Law. Look, they're a morally bankrupt organization, and now they are in bankruptcy. And it's because their modus operandi, their business proposition, is to lie and spread misinformation to sell as many guns as possible to as many people as possible. Americans are paying the price of that. So I think they hold far less sway. We have won the gun violence prevention movement. We've won at the ballot box. Americans are behind this. There's still a few lawmakers who haven't gotten the memo, but they better hear it because as Sarah Brady always said, and I love Sarah Brady, if you can't change the laws, you change the lawmakers. That's what our movement has done. And 2020, 2021 is our year. The time is now to address this issue at, at the federal level. We'll see what happened in Congress. Thank you, Chris Brown, president of the gun violence prevention organization known as Brady. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.